And this one also? Press this like that? No. On, on the side. Oh, yeah, I see it. There we go. All righty. Tricky. Well, thank you very much for welcoming me today. It's a, an honor for me to be in your company and to share some things about OPC Home Missions, and then we'll worship together and seek the favor of Christ. And um, I want to thank you for being a gospel light here in Yorktown. I know it's hard to serve in a mission work, um, but I want you to know that uh, your supporting committee in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, loves you and prays for you. And... Um, we're very happy to be partnering with you to see this work grow and flourish. And uh, I've known uh, Matt and Hyo Jung for, I don't know, five or six years. And when I learned that uh, you called him and that he accepted the call, it was a delight to me to hear that. So thank you. I thought I would say a few things about me, how the Lord has um, blessed me and um, called me to various ministries, and then I want to say some things about home missions that uh, I hope will interest you. So uh, my name is Al, and uh, I was um, born and raised in New Jersey. Don't judge me. And um, was converted during my college years there and went to seminary and took my first call as a part-time minister in Hackettstown, New Jersey. I was an evangelist for a local church there. Then after that, I served here in this very state, although a different part of the state. I don't know if you consider Northern Virginia part of your state, but it, that's where, no. The answer is no. Okay, fair enough. So I was in a different state up north, uh, Vienna, Virginia, if you know where that is, 9 o'clock on the Beltway. I served a church there for um, 13 years before the Lord called my family to move to East Africa, where we served uh, the OP mission in South Karamoja, Uganda. Those were really great years, 11 years in a very remote, undeveloped part of the world. We have five children, ages 5 to 15 at that time, and um, we moved them to Africa. It's crazy, I know, uh, but we, we, we just loved our lives there. It is a very robust ministry. We uh, ran a medical clinic. Well, the mission continues to operate, but when I was there, here's what we did. We had a medical clinic, we ran a farm, we had a pre-primary school, and we had uh, various uh, other diaconal projects like drilling wells, but everything was centered on the gospel proclamation, and the word was at the center of all that we did. And so at the clinic, we would have devotions in the morning and evangelistic preaching while the patients were waiting to be served. Whenever we drilled a well, I say we, I'm a pastor, so it's not me, but we had a well driller on our team. And whenever we put a well in the ground, we would make that a location for a Bible study. We had a little congregation in the village of Nakale, Uganda, of about maybe 50, 50 people, African people, who uh, were converted through the ministry. And that's grown some since those days, I'm happy to say. It was a very challenging ministry in so many ways, and, and one of the ways in which it was challenging 
was that um, East Africa is still very much a polygamous culture. And so where we served in South Karamoja in the northeast part of Uganda, where when I say undeveloped, they didn't have roads or power. Most villages didn't even have latrines. And so it was really village life. And all they've known for generations is polygamy. Very important for men to have multiple wives, to have children. And um, it was part of their whole economic structure. Marriage was very much a commercial enterprise. And so you can imagine the, the, the challenge that we had to try to um, teach in such a way that they would absorb uh, God's design for marriage and the need to, to change their ways. And so uh, that's what we did. And it was, it was great. Um, you know, we had a lot of false starts because in, in that culture, to have more than one wife, it's like, it's so second nature. That's all they've known for generations. And so the disasters that result from polygamy are, as you would imagine, with domestic abuse and the breaking of marriages for economic reasons. It was really, really very difficult. But we made some headway that way, and many people did come to Christ and um, turned away from their sinful patterns, and we were very happy to see that. I'm, I'm saying all this to lead to uh, a more recent chapter in my ministry, and that is last fall in October, my wife Lori and I went back to Uganda for the first time in seven years, and we discovered some things that were very encouraging to us, and you should be encouraged as well. So when we left, um, you know that uh, this, the COVID virus had all kinds of different effects upon the nations of the world. And, um, and the same thing was true in Karamoja. Although COVID was not common there, they shut down the schools for two years, which was very difficult for the students. But 10 of those male students, and when I say student, they're high school students, but they were, all, they were already in their 20s. That's how things are there. Some of them were married, they had kids, but they were still pursuing their high school education. So 10 of those men, instead of just not doing anything, would come to the mission and be discipled by our missionary ministry, uh, minister there, James Falkerts. And so he had these guys, 10 guys, every day, helping them to keep up with their studies, but also teaching them uh, the ways of Christ and, and Reformed theology. And so by the end of that season, these men became committed to Christ, committed to the church, interested in pursuing church leadership, completely on board with God's design for marriage, and God gave them the strength not only to embrace this and to be accountable with the other men, but also to speak to the culture. And so right now, we have 10 guys who seem to be, you know, ready to take the next step. One of them is already in seminary, and so you can, be, you can rejoice with us as we think about this. Uh, because the, you know, the church there has no local leadership, and for obvious reasons, because you know, there are some things in the Scripture that are less clear, but this is not unclear, and that is a, a, a minister, an elder, a deacon, must be the husband of one wife. And so we have some promise with these guys coming up through the ranks. Now, this leads to one more prayer request, and I'll move on to home missions. The prayer request is that the Lord would provide another missionary family to go to Uganda and serve this mission. 
James Folkerts, uh, the current missionary minister there, is returning to Canada and not going back to Uganda. That will happen in May. And that will leave a mission with um, all of the sort of support structure, with the clinic in operation, with robust diaconal work, with a little church there with no local leadership. But we do need another missionary family to go and take up that work and bring these, these men by the power of the Spirit to Christian maturity so that they can you know, pursue God in the best ways. So anyway, a little story about me, a little update on Uganda. Thank you for, for listening. So about eight years ago, my wife and I made the difficult decision to leave our work and life in Africa and to come back to the States. And it was a difficult decision. We loved our lives there. We believe in the work. The work isn't done. But we thought the time had come to serve the kingdom differently and go back to the U.S. and be near our expanding family. So we went to, as I mentioned, we went to Uganda with five kids. One at a time, they left Uganda for the States, went to college, you know, some of them got married. They never came back to Uganda. They did for visits. But, but clearly, the, 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 the gravity of the Tricarico family was moving from Africa to Pennsylvania. And when our first grandson was born, that made us think, maybe we should find something else to do. <laughs> and, so, and, so, uh, and so we did. And we left, uh, we left Uganda without a call. But at that time, our home missions committee, and I'll say a word about that in a moment in case you're unfamiliar with how we support missions, but our home missions committee was looking for an associate general secretary. <coughs> I was looking for a call. We had a conversation, and I took the call to serve home missions. So I moved from foreign missions to home missions, and that's what I have done since that time and continue to do today. And it has been a delightful uh, almost eight years now serving that committee. And what I love best is visiting fields. And so I'm loving this already. So thank you for having me. So <clears throat> I don't know how much of this will be a review for you, but let me just set the stage a little bit and let you know how the Orthodox Presbyterian Church understands itself in relation to Christ's great uh, commission and uh, the work that is set before the church. So first of all, I should say that we are called the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and that is a singular word, and it's meant to be singular because we believe ourselves to be one church. And we believe that our corporate response to the Great Commission is, as we like to say, the whole work of the whole church. Our General Assembly elects men, ministers and elders, to populate the three program committees of the OPC, and those committees are Christian Education, Foreign Missions, and the committee I serve, the Committee on Home Missions and Church Extension. There are other committees as well. There's a diaconal committee and there's a committee on ministerial care, but those are the three program committees that really prosecute the support of those three works for the OPC. Now, as a foreign missionary, you, you can only guess how deeply grateful I was, and still am, at the way the OPC supports its works. So as a foreign missionary, I was not 
required to raise my own funding, but the funding comes from 330 congregations and over 30,000 people who, who, who join their prayers and their resources to support the work that they send missionary families to do. And uh, I'm glad for that. If I had to raise my own support, I think I would starve. That's one thing. But also, it was, it was great to be serving overseas and to know that I had over 30,000 people who were aware of my work, who received my newsletters. Not all of them did, but many of them did. And, uh, and actually communicated with me, hey, we're praying for you in this way and that way and the other way. And we, it was just a, a great privilege that we had to think about those in the U.S. who are holding the ropes for us and sending prayers to heaven for us. It was, it was really like the OPC was one big church which three, with 330 little satellites around uh, North America. That is actually how we view ourselves. And uh, you're part of that. And so people in California and in Idaho and in Chicago and in Texas, they all know about Peninsula Reformed Presbyterian Church in Yorktown, Virginia. And, uh, and they pray for you. And so you should always uh, feel supported by the, the broader church that receives newsletters and prayer requests and publications like New Horizons and Home Missions Today. They become aware of what's happening here. And they, and they send uh, prayers to the Lord for your sake. So you may feel small beginnings, true, but you're part of something. You know, the OPC, I don't know if anyone's told you this, but we're kind of small. <laughs> you know? but, but we're not tiny. We have, as I said, 30,000 members. And so you should know that uh, you are part of something that is uh, bigger than what you see on the Lord's Day any given Sunday. And there are many mission works across the the country that are just like you. And so you can be praying for them as they are praying for you. It would be important for you to uh, remember or to learn that the Committee on Home Missions, the committee I serve, does not plant churches. Um, we support the church planting efforts of presbyteries and congregations that want to do the work of home missions. And so how do we support them? We support them through funding, obviously. That's part of what we do. Um, but we also support them by providing very specific support requirements of the church planters. That would mean you. How do we do that? We require that every church planter uh, take a week out of their annual schedule twice during the four years they receive funding and attend what we call church planter training. It's usually in southern Maine and in the summer because you don't want to go to southern Maine in the winter. And, uh, you know, we do this, and it's, it's a great time. Uh, Matt and Hyo Jung will be joining us, Lord willing. This, you, are, are you, you are coming this year. Okay, so that's good. Don't want to announce it if it's not true. Glad to hear it's true. And what is that? It, it, is, it is the better part of a week. When we talk about the progress of the works, we, give, we have people come in to give certain lectures that are relevant to church planning activity. We have all of our program committees represented there, and they're the committees I mentioned, Home Missions, Foreign Missions, Christian Ed, Diaconal Committee, Ministerial Care, 
and they each give presentations on what is happening in their, you know, their relative fields so that church planters can come back and say, here's what's happening in the broader church. And so we have that provided. But it's mainly the training. And I would say very close second to the training is the fellowship between church planters. So we have, at any given time, we may have, I don't know, 25 or 30 church planters who are currently being supported by the committee. And uh, every year, half of them come to Maine for church planter training. And a few years back, our committee decided to include the wives along with the church planters. And so church planters and their wives, along with maybe 12 or 15 other church planting couples, will spend a better part of a week in a lovely place in the summertime, receive some instruction, yes, but also to fellowship together, to swap stories. Times of prayer are built into that week so that couples can come together and share burdens and joys both. And it has become a highlight for me, but most people who go come back invigorated, encouraged, and ready to uh, you know, take the next step in their work. So we're glad to be doing that. So Matt has already agreed, yes, twice during my time of support, I will do church planner training, and this is your first year. Looking forward to seeing you there. But we have other requirements, too. We ask every church planter to take uh, three classes in what we call the Ministerial uh, Training Institute of the OPC. And those classes are in evangelism and preaching and pastoral theology. And during the course of the years when a man is supported, we ask them, we require them, and provide for them to take these classes. And uh, we ask them to give a monthly report to us so we can know what's cooking on the field and how we can pray. Matt's been good to send those reports to us. We also uh, require every church planter to attend a quarterly prayer meeting with other church planters over Zoom. I do it every month, and every month I take a third of the church planters, invite them to come to that Zoom prayer meeting, and we, uh, we, we, we spend about an hour and a half together sharing and praying. So there are things that are, that are built in the program that do not cost the church planter or the mission work a dime. We pay for everything just to encourage um, the leadership of mission works in what we believe to be positive ways. So um, you, can, you can ask Matt along the way how that's, how that's going. I have something to hand out. May I do that? Or maybe you can do that? Oh, that's mine. Yeah, you want to? You I brought one to share. No, this one's mine. These are yours. <laughs> all righty. This is a newsletter that we publish from time to time. And uh, all right, you can just, just hold on. Yeah, thanks. So, um, are you familiar with New Horizons? That's the, the monthly magazine of the OPC. And uh, the front page of this newsletter is just an excerpt from a recent New Horizons article. Uh, let's see here. You must know Andy, uh, Matt. Yep. 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 So, he's, um, he's a church planter down in Bluffton, South Carolina. And so, you can look at that if you like. On the back... There is the, um, what we call Home Missions Today. Every two weeks, we, uh, we distribute 
little sum-ups of three or four mission works, and that's just a recent edition of that. You can have yourself a look at later on if you like, or even now. So, open it up, and you'll see the map. This gives you a, a review, uh, not, not of all church planting in the OPC, but all church planting that is currently supported by your General Assembly Committee. So there are other works that are uh, in development that are not currently receiving support. Some of them have finished support and continue with presbytery support. Some of them, presbyteries, sometimes presbyteries just support them on their own. But these are the ones that are currently being supported by the committee I serve. And you will uh, see that, uh, let's see, where? You're not on there yet. Oh my goodness, why are you not on there? So this is a very embarrassing. There is a there is a Virginia Beach dot. You can see that there, but there should be a York Yorktown. I'm gonna I'll mark this. Where is uh, Virginia Beach? I thought that had you on it for Tuffy. Well, I see the Nymans. The Nymans are there, but the uh, Walkers are not there. Well, that is a terrible omission, and uh, I I'm dreadfully sorry about that. So let's pretend that there's a dot. You know, right around Virginia Beach, a little bit, is, would it be what, north, north west, or northwest. northwest of Virginia Beach? Let's put, it, put it anywhere in the state except up that northern state. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, that's not the state. You're telling me that's not really the state. That's at the Holloways. Uh, you're the Holloways are there. Do you know the Holloways? Have you? Yeah, I've met uh, John Paul at Machen's very briefly. Oh, very good. Well, he's I'm, from Texas. Yeah, he's, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you that story in a moment. But uh, anyway, you can pretend there's a dot a few miles northwest of, uh, of uh, Virginia Beach, and uh, you, you, if, you, if there were a picture there, it would be of Matt and Joe Jung, and uh, we need to get that picture and put you on the map, because you really are on the map, even though you're not yet on the map. Okay, <coughs> so <coughs> let's go right to Manassas, Virginia. I know it's not Virginia, but it is northern Virginia. And uh, I want to tell you a story about the beginnings of this work called Acacia Reformed Presbyterian Church in Manassas. And I need to tell you that story because it, it, it actually goes back to my time in Africa, believe it or not. I bet you had no idea that there was a connection between Uganda and Manassas. I'm going to tell you what that connection is. So I served there with a brother by the name of Phil Proctor. And in 2010, I think it was, he decided he would um, relocate to the U.S. and take up a call in a local church. And he did that. And that church was in Sterling, Virginia, also northern Virginia, closer to where I lived in Vienna. But the church was very small, 20 people maybe, something like that. And uh, they had been looking for a pastor for some time. And Phil was interested in pursuing this call. And uh, they said, look, we have, we have enough money in the bank to pay you for 18 months. If you want to come and uh, do what it is God is calling you to do, and we'll try to build this thing together. They had two elders. And so he said, he said that he would come. But he said under two conditions. He said, first, I want this congregation to be committed from the first day that I arrive to supporting what we call worldwide outreach at the full requests. Now, what he means by that is the General Assembly sets per-communicant member requests in order to support foreign missions, home missions, Christian ed, and so on. And he didn't want the size of the church to be a roadblock to supporting the greater church. He was happy to hear that they were already doing that. So that was not a problem. But here's the second requirement. He said, I'll come 
if you will pray with me from the first day that God would provide a way for us to plant a church. 20 people, two elders, a bit of a bank account. And he's saying, I'll come if we do a church plant. And uh, they said, okay, let's pray. And uh, just to move forward in time, 10 years later, they grew to about 150 people. They took a third of them and uh, began this work in Manassas, which is a good 45-minute drive away from Sterling. But some of the people in Sterling were actually closer to Manassas than Sterling, so that was good. And uh, they had called uh, a brother, John Paul Holloway. You went to school with him, right? You, you know John Paul, uh, to be their associate pastor for, uh, or I guess, yeah, associate pastor for one year, and then he became the church planter. And I love that story because I really do believe that um, a, a, a healthy church is a church planting church whether that's in connection with other presbytery resources or whether it's giving birth to a daughter church. But I think it is good, a good sign of, of church health when someone, when a church has on their radar the idea, let us pray that God would flourish us to the point where we can actually participate in finding another community in need of a reformed church and to plant a church there. Now, I know that this, you, you, you're, you have a lot of churches here, <laughs> right? So I, don't, I know a little bit about the Virginia Beach area. I don't know so much about here, but I know that there are a lot of reformational churches. But there are also a lot of lost people and a lot of homeless Christians. And uh, I think it's a good prayer. Even, look, you're about the size that Sterling was when Phil went there. So we can pray now that God would cause an increase in Yorktown to the point where you could be involved directly or indirectly in uh, contributing to another mission work some, in some other local community that needs a, a faithful gospel witness, which you are and will become more and more. Some of these works are close to the end of their, um, of their uh, support. Um, Bradney and Aileen uh, Lopez are serving in Guayama, Puerto Rico. And uh, believe it or not, there's no line there because they don't have the island. I don't know why. Maybe we put, put a little island of Puerto Rico there because we now have three churches in Puerto Rico. But they, they are actually member churches of the Presbytery of New Jersey, which is weird, I know, but that's the way it is. They, they, the, the people in New Jersey were the ones who had the vision to do this, and they've, they've taken it up. But there are currently three Three uh, organized congregations. This, um, this congregation was organized just a month ago. And uh, two other um, churches that are exploring the possibility of joining the OPC in Puerto Rico. But here, Bradney, precious brother, excellent evangelist, loves Christ, loves his people. He was sort of an independent, baptistic sort of minister. And, uh, but then he became acquainted with the, the confession of faith and uh, over time embraced it, took classes at Greenville Seminary, eventually finished, was ordained to the ministry there, and he's now the church pastor, not the church planter, but the pastor of the congregation in 
um, in Puerto Rico. So this is the last year of their funding, but we're really happy that that took place. Uh, do you know John Nyman? Have you met him? Do you know the name? Up in Northern Virginia. Jo uh, he, Virginia he's in Virginia Beach as an intern. Well, there you go. What better way to get to know someone? Yes, sir. I I don't know where that church is. So let me. Uh, I'll bring some more clarity there. So John Nyman is a church planting intern and what that means is this our christian ed committee every year provides funding for internships a southern uh, a summer internship or a year-long internship and our committee the home missions committee will uh, provide additional support if there is a man who shows interest and promise in church planting and we then match him with a proven church planter and the support is high enough so that a man does not have to, uh, you know, work to support his family. So John Nyman is one of those church planting interns. And so Lowell Ivy is his mentor. And uh, he's, his op center is the Virginia Beach Church. But part of his internship is to take up the leadership of this work in Suffolk. And so we'll look forward to seeing how that develops. And uh, maybe you already know much about that since it's your region. But um, you can pray for John and Aaron Nyman. So you see the, the little tag there, it says intern. There are three other works that have a different tag called prayer support. You see Peter Lee in Columbia, Maryland, Chris Bird in Westfield, uh, New Jersey, and then uh, Chris Drew in Grand Forks, North Dakota. You see the little tag, it says prayer support, prayer support, prayer support. We have a program which we call uh, non-aid receiving support. The name isn't important, but the concept is this. We, we provide the full support package to a presbytery that doesn't need the funding. And so we don't provide money, but all those things I listed before, publication in New Horizons and in Home Missions Today, church planner training, MTI classes, reports to me, these kinds of things, we, we require all of those things, but they're, they're working in presbyteries that haven't requested funding because they don't need the funding. But, whole work of the whole church, we still want to support the home missions works that in, are in operation in the OPC. And so, um, Peter is a, a professor at RTS DC, and uh, he's got this little group of people interested in being an OP church. He's been working there for about a little over a year, trying to... Uh, uh, to develop this work, that is actually going to be a regularly supported work at some point when they call it church planner. But for now, it is just prayer support. Chris Bird is is an associate pastor in Westfield, New Jersey, and his work is basically evangelism, evangelism training, ESL instruction, and trying to uh, help the church grow through um, conversions. That's his call. You know Chris too, don't you? Yeah, sure. So he's a gifted evangelist, and he's, a, he's, he's especially gifted in training in evangelism. That church has gone from about 40 people to over 100 people in about two years. And um, he, he's really just an ordinary guy who loves Jesus and loves to talk about Jesus. 
And uh, I was there last fall, and um, I was there to, to give some uh, um, training in a s small group leadership and preach. And I saw I, I met with Chris, and uh, and then I you know during the worship service or not during the worship after the worship service I walked around the room and met people, and it was amazing how many people were there because they heard the gospel from Chris. Oh yeah, I've been here about a year and I just joined. This is my third Sunday. You know, I've been here for six months and I'm in the membership class, and. Um, I think that's brilliant. Now they happen to have the presbytery has money from a sale of a, of a building, and so they don't need money. But now Chris is involved with the rest of the support program, and he's really happy to be doing that. Chris Drew, Chris and Sarah Grand Forks. Interesting story there. Chris is a full-time uh, IT guy at University of North Dakota, so he's got a full-time job, and he's doing this work part-time. I don't know how he does it. And I suspect that at some point we will be receiving a request for funding. But for right now, he doesn't need it. But it's a really interesting story, um, one that I'm sure you've never heard before, unless you heard theirs. But Chris and Sarah were both ordained ministers in the PCUSA and serving different churches. And um, I, don't, I don't know the, the full story like the history of the couple and how their thinking changed over time. But I suspect that they were, you know, more faithful when compared to other ministers in the PCUSA at that time. But still, it became clear to them that what they were doing was not right, both in terms of a married couple worshiping at different churches, but also that Sarah was actually serving as a minister. And so uh, she resigned, he resigned, they contacted members of the Presbytery of the Dakotas, and eventually this little work, Faith OPC in Grand Forks, about 30 people, meeting in a mall. Um, they became a mission work of that Presbytery, and uh, because he's a he's a what the, you know bivocational, I guess you would say, a tent maker. Uh, money hasn't been requested, but I, I I hope that they do make that request so that he could be freed from worldly care and really invest 100 percent in developing that work. Chris is a great brother, and um, I'm happy to be partnering with him in the committee I serve partnering with him. Let me just move from the map to the left-hand column, and I think I'll say some things about regional home missionaries and then maybe pause for a few questions and if you have them. So right now, uh, you know what a regional home missionary is. At least you know Lacey Andrews, one of my favorite people. Love Lacey. And I know if you know him, you love him too. And you see that he's there. Um, so one, two, three. We have nine. Right now we have nine uh, RHMs, as we call them, serving eight presbyteries. Two of them are part-time for Presbytery of Ohio. And uh, these are guys that presbyteries uh, call to do, you know, the work of getting mission works started and, um, and developing those works to the point where they can actually call an organizing pastor. So I think you know that's what Lacey does. And there are seven other presbyteries who likewise have RHMs. Now there are right now um, three presbyteries actively searching for RHMs. We don't have a lot of presbyteries. There are 17 of them altogether. So this already represents 
half of the Presbytery is about. The Presbytery of Central Pennsylvania just uh, uh, issued a call to a man, so someone would be going there. And uh, two other Presbyteries are searching for RHMs, so you can pray that God would provide them. It is generally true that Presbyteries who, are, who participate in the RHM program do more church planting because it is hard to serve on a home missions committee in a presbytery. You've got your own church to be concerned about. Maybe elders are borrowed to, to participate. Um, but it's really hard. The bandwidth, headspace is just not there to do, to, to do the kind of work that presbyteries want to do. And so they call ministers whose full-time job is to look for seed groups to begin works. And that's what Lacey is. And Lacey's among the best. He, he is... Um, Full of energy, a lot of miles on his vehicle. You know, your presbytery is vast in terms of its acreage, right? So he's always traveling, exploring, responding to requests, and visiting places like Peninsula, as he has for the last several years. And he's on your session. Steve Doe, another member of your session, is a former RHM in the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic. So uh, you know some of these guys. That's, what, that's who they are. The map shows you um, all of the mission works that we are supporting except for one. Very sorry about that, but I'll stop apologizing. And, um, and so I think I'll stop there. I've got like, like just a couple minutes left, but I don't know if you had any questions for me. I deeply appreciate your kind attention. Brother. Um, so you're in Uganda and you're, the polygamy is going on. <laughs> Good question. I'll tell you what we do. I will say that there is really no satisfactory answer, honestly. This, right. is, this is one of those situations where the wisdom you need is, is how to balance sort of biblical concepts in a way that is healthy for the church, and it's not easy to do. But here's, here's how we approached it. And if you don't agree with this, that's okay. Sometimes I don't agree with it, but this is what we did. So polygamous comes to Christ. And uh, we see evidence of genuine conversion. And so we tell that man, you are, you are welcome to membership in the church with full membership privileges. And your wives, if they are also in Christ, are welcome to full membership privileges. And uh, you are in a position where you, you have a duty to provide for two families. And you're to do that as best you can as one man. You don't qualify for office. And, uh, and you are to warn the next generation of the really the destructive power of polygamous practice. And uh, you're to be a husband to both wives, including all the duties and pleasures that um, are there in marriage. We, we did not take the position that divorce is the solution to polygamy. We just didn't believe it. It's awkward, and um, it's a di difficult to present God's design when we're actually sort of uh, winking at or overlooking what we believe to be a sinful arrangement. But that's how we've approached it. And you know what? I'll tell you, it's, 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 it's hard to read the whole of Scripture and, and conclude that 
polygamy, I'm, I believe that polygamy is wrong. It's not God's design from the beginning. I think the New Testament shines a lot of light on that. But you read the Old Testament scriptures, and it's not just tolerated, but sometimes it's commended. And I believe that the New Testament church did have polygamists in it. And that's why we have the instruction in 1 Timothy 3 that an that a elder must not be a polygamist, husband of but one wife. I think we can infer from that that there was polygamy even in the New Testament, but not in office. Uh, no, uh, men who were polygamists were not qualified to hold church office. So that's how we handled it. The real trick was how to deal with a member of the church who, knowing the position of Scripture, yields to the temptation of society and takes another wife. And we never had a satisfactory approach to that. Again, we did not, I mean, the whole culture uh, um, affirms this marriage. For us to break marriages would, I think, be, would be wrong. But how do you deal with a man who now needs to repent of a sinful union? And uh, that's what we did. We, we, we tried our best to convince them to make public confession. But it's, it's part of the ministry I don't miss, <laughs> you know, dealing with that particular scenario. I think the other one, I, I, feel, I feel good about how we handled it, even though it's not, it's not tidy. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about that. That's, that's our I approach. That's, I've talked to other missionaries before about that. It's, there is no... Well, there's a perfect answer. Yeah. We just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there are missionaries, and I know some of them, um, Reformed ones, who say, you, you know, you, you keep your first wife and you support your second wife but you, you can't be a husband to that second wife. But I, I think there's, there's sort of an embedded cruelty in that where you are basically, you know, committing that woman to celibacy and marriage. And I just don't see that as, as biblical. Well, if you preach the Old Testament and you hear about David and his wives and you hear about Solomon and his wives, uh, how do you refute that and say that, well, you can't do it? Just look at those marriages. I, I know. They all know that. They all know it's disastrous. Well, you see yeah. the disasters that occur. Yeah, that's true. That, yeah. Our answer is it was not meant to be that way from the beginning. And, of course, the teaching of Jesus is not the same as the teaching of the practice of David. Um, but I think that our approach was, uh, was to, to be patient with the culture, as God was before the coming of Christ. I think I'm done.